0: Is Dylan Gabriel the top returning quarterback in the Big 12? The guy we were talking about on last night's show, he got his rating. We'll talk about that and some rule changes. My goodness, Josh, we got a jam-packed episode of Locked On Sooners Live coming for you. Make sure you're in the chat, responding, commenting, asking questions. We'll go through those as well. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners Live. Thank you for joining us and being part of the show. Uh, We're live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Central Time, so make sure you are subscribed to the show over on YouTube to be a part of the action over there. Welcome to everybody that's in the chat early on. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. And Josh, uh, we got a, a lot of places that we can go, but let's start with this. Um, Patrick Kahn, college sports wire put together the kind of the top returning quarterbacks or ranked all the quarterbacks in the big 12 based on returning production. And Dylan Gabriel has the most returning production coming back into the big 12. And so it kind of, it makes me wonder, is he the top returning quarterback coming back for big 12 in 2023?
1: I think there's a, a good argument to be made that yes, Dylan Gabriel, is the top quarterback coming back into the big 12 conference. Uh, you know, Will Howard, I think would be a part of that conversation. I guess Quinn Ewers would be a part of that conversation though. To me, I'm going to feel great rolling out uh, Dylan Gabriel over Quinn Ewers. 12 out of 10. I don't know about you. Uh, who else would even be on that short list? Uh, obviously uh, our man from Kansas,
0: yeah, I think th- you touched on the three that make the most sense in, you know, Will Howard, uh, Quinn Ewers, and then Jalen Daniels. I mean, I think those are the three most intriguing names. Um, UCS quarterback is pretty good, uh, more of a running guy than than a thrower. But, I mean, there are good quarterbacks across the, the conference. Even a guy like Donovan Smith uh, transferred from Texas Tech to Houston. Uh, he's going to get a chance to start there. And, and I think that he's got a chance to put up some big numbers and, and do some really good things uh, for the Houston Cougars this year. It's going to be a team to watch because that's a, I mean, that's a guy that he played a lot in Lubbock and he played some good football at times, bit turnover prone at times as well. But ultimately I, I think he was a really good player. So, uh, but mostly, I mean, ultimately for me, it does come back to Dylan Gabriel. Now is he the most quote unquote talented quarterback in the big 12 You could argue that maybe Quinn Ewers has a bigger arm. Uh, Will Howard might be a better runner. But I think experience, production-wise, it'd be hard for me to – pick somebody over Dylan Gabriel and I know we had the same conversation this time last year and or at least I had this conversation this time last year before Josh jumped on the show but uh you know I really felt like you know Dylan Gabriel at times was one of the best quarterbacks in the conference this past season there were times where he and the Oklahoma Senators offense was a bit of a letdown but that was just the offense as a whole so I really do think that another year having you know an offseason to kind of reflect and look back on what he did in 2022 is going to give him an opportunity to be even better in 2023.
1: Well, and of course, Dylan Gabriel came to Oklahoma with great familiarity with Jeff Levy, but uh, he didn't have familiarity with power five football. Now he's got one season of power five football and, you know, a couple of seasons with Jeff Levy, that familiarity to build upon. But it is, it is kind of wild just to think about, from a strictly production standpoint not you know where you would power rank quarterbacks but from strictly a production standpoint it's Dylan Gabriel that threw for 3168 yards and 25 touchdowns against six interceptions so the the third downs the fourth downs some some situational spots i think we've talked about a lot john during last season and you know early part of the offseason that you know, he could be better and Oklahoma needs to be better. But just from a sheer production standpoint, he, he was the best in the Big 12 a year ago that's returning. I'm kind of blown away going through this list that Patrick Kahn put together, John, that Hunter Deckers is from Iowa State is actually technically second on the production list. He threw for 3,044 yards, 19 touchdowns, four pick, 14 picks, excuse me, a season ago. And Blake Shapin for Baylor would be third on that list. Now that's skewed a little bit because uh, obviously you got somebody at Jalen Daniels that didn't get to play every game, John.
0: Yeah. Jalen Daniels was hurt. Will Howard took over for the injured Adrian Martinez. So those two guys didn't play a full season. Otherwise those numbers would look a little bit differently. And a guy like Tyler Shuck, you know, Tyler Shuck was fantastic in the red Raiders win over Oklahoma what does he look like if he plays a full season for the, for the Red Raiders? So uh, that's going to be another name to watch a really sneaky name to watch. He, he was a really you know highly thought of quarterback prospect uh, when he went to Oregon and then was also very highly thought of when he ended up at Texas tech as a transfer. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I agree with Jimmy. They got to find somebody uh, to replace Mims. Hank kind of says it's going to be Farouk that will re- replace Mims. And I, I kind of, it's, it's interesting because they are two different types of wide receivers. Farouk, he's your do it all. Can operate zero to twenty. He's the guy that can play in any situation and do something for you in any scheme. Where Marvin Mims, love Marvin Mims, but a lot of what his production came from was just deep shot, deep shot, deep shot. But he wasn't necessarily the you know Marquise Brown burner that was going to win every single time that you know he decided to run a nine route. A guy like Farouk, he can win in every area of the field. We've seen him do that. Now he has to improve his consistency, improve his ability to, um, you know, make plays after the catch, improve his ability to just get open more. But I really, I do think it's going to be Jalil Farouk. I think that's going to be the guy that leads the, the team in targets. Um, whether he leads them in yards, you know, touchdowns, things like that, that's going to be remain remain to be seen. But I do think he's on. He's going to be having a thousand yard or to, excuse me, a thousand total yard season this year for the Sooners. Uh, Chad mentions, you know, Andrell Anthony being the deep threat guy. They got several guys that could be kind of that deep threat, ability, you know, that deep threat guy for them. Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, you know, not your typical burners, but they can make big plays down the field as well.
1: I can't wait to see what Andrell Anthony has in store. I think that he could be a big puzzle piece for Oklahoma. You know, some of Oklahoma's greatest, success stories of late and you know i'm sure that probably you know alabama fans would say well it's Devonte smith for us and we could go on down the list of top powers in college football and they probably have a wide receiver or two like this but man you think about some of the most productive guys just in recent memory for oklahoma and what did they have john not a big shocker i guess but it was guys that could take the top off of a defense with their speed a marquise brown hollywood comes to mind a comes to mind dd westbrook for oklahoma comes to mind so that's just a couple of names that i mean automatically you go there when you flip that just that one little piece of tape on from andrell anthony versus michigan state it's not a ton of production that he has obviously uh he's gonna have to seriously seriously enhance what you know his historical production has been but i mean just thinking about what oklahoma has john and how maybe he could fit in I could see him being a big time factor offensively for Oklahoma.
0: And I don't necessarily think they, I mean, they got to have a guy that can win down the field, but the area in which they struggled with mostly was just consistency zero to 20, you know, zero yards to 20 yards down the field. And that's why I'm so bullish on, on Jaleel Farouk is because I believe that he operates best in that area of the field. It's going to make them more consistent offensively, I think. And especially on third downs, when you need to have a guy that you're like, all right, that's the dude I'm throwing to on third down. He's the one that's going to get open him or Drake stoops. That's where they need to operate more efficiently. Where the, are the big plays going to be there hundred percent? You know, they're going to find a guy that's going to be able to win deep and make big plays for them in the passing game. And they have to, because so much of their production last year was because of the big playability in the passing game. If they're going to be able to replicate that or improve upon that, they got to find somebody. I think they'll find somebody, whether it's one of the guys that's already on campus or Jaquais Petaway that's coming. Uh, it's Norman this summer, but again, it Jaleel Farouk has to be big and he has to take a step forward uh, for the Oklahoma Sooners coming up this off season. Speaking of offseason, offseason is always the time for rule changes and a big uh, suggestion is coming down the pipe that, is going to have some pretty uh, interesting implications for pace of play. And we'll talk about that after Josh talks to you about. Actually, no, after I talk to you about Built Bar, it's, I get to go first this time. Uh, Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar. If you haven't tried it, I highly recommend it. Been eating them for years now. Great, great protein source for you. Anywhere from 17, 18 grams of protein, four or five grams of sugar. They're low carb, low calorie, and they taste great. Anywhere from, you know, again, peanut butter brownie, coconut brownie chunk coconut almond mint brownie some fantastic flavors and they got granola bars as well and if you like marshmallow or marshmallowy textured uh, treats then built's got something for you too it's called the built puff it's a marshmallow protein bar i know it's hard to believe but it's, it's fantastic again great options for you great flavors over there at built.com use promo code locks 15 get 15 percent off your next order over at built.com so uh it was the, the surprise for me because, one, I didn't think that this was a, a big problem uh, for college football that, or that they were at all concerned about pace of play at the collegiate level. But um, according to Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, executives of college football are looking at several rule changes to shorten the games. The four proposals being prohibiting consecutive timeouts in an effort to ice the kick to limit icing the kicker, no untimed downs at the end of the first and third quarters. I can be honest. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Uh, the clock will continue to run after a first down outside of the final two minutes in the half. And the fourth one was the clock will continue to run after an incomplete pass. Once the ball is spotted. And Josh, it's those last two subjects that I really want to talk about. And it's number three. We'll, we'll spend time on probably the most, but, um, it's interesting that they're going to go to removing the first down stoppage of the clock. I like the idea of it. I think it's, it's going to be something that puts them in a better place like the NFL, where you're helping to shorten games, kind of break down everybody's you know TV window a little bit and not require us to watch four and a half, five hour football games, which I know everybody loves football and everybody wants like to enjoy as much of it as possible. But man, sometimes like, I just want to go to bed before 11 And I don't want to stay up for a midnight primetime college football game. I'm sorry. That's just, I'm old. I'm sorry. I'm old. That's just the way it is. But I, I I distinctly remember watching OU tech in 2016 when Baker and Patrick Mahomes just went at it back and forth nonstop. It was like a five and a half hour football game. It was a fantastic game. It was great, but weren't we all exhausted the next morning? well, taking the stoppage of the clock away from the, the first down outside of the two minutes, you know, on either side of the half or two minutes before each end of the half, I think it just makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I don't mind the, I don't mind first downs, not, not, uh, you know, waiting for the chain to get set before you wind the clock, you know? And to me, I think even you could extend it out, John, and say, okay, the final five minutes of the first half or the final five minutes of the second half up until that point, no matter whether it's a first down or not, the clock is going to stay winding, even if you get a first down and you would see you would see substantially improved. You you would see a significant portion of games cut off if you did that right. That alone would make a, a decent dent in trying to speed these games up a little bit to me, the idea that you're going to throw the football and it's an incomplete pass. And Oh, by the way, it's, I mean, it's a running down. I'm trying to wrap my brain around what that would mean for college football. You know, when I first heard that suggestion, I don't know why I thought this it's dead wrong, but I thought, Oh, well, this is, this is maybe going to make more teams run the football more than we've seen in the past. Right. Because guess what? Incomplete pass, same thing as a run, but Honestly, it basically means you can you can just drop back and throw every single down, John, and it's a run. So I don't know if that would mean that teams basically don't run the football anymore. So I, I don't know what that would mean for, for college football in that sense. To me, that's way too far of a departure. It almost, it borderline impacts the integrity of the game a little bit to me, or at least just what I've come to know historically as the integrity of the game. Now, all of a sudden, There is no thinking about, okay, well, late in the game, should we line up and run the ball here to get our opponent to burn a timeout? Now it's – I mean, if I throw an incomplete pass, I throw an incomplete pass. The only fear there is that I'm going to throw it to the opposite jersey late in the game, right? It's not that I'm going to stop the clock myself and set up an opportunity to where all of a sudden my opponent has more time. So I'm not crazy about that one. I understand wanting to speed games up just in general, but uh, you know, I guess it would be suggestion three on that list – which is keep the clock winding after first downs. I love that one. That one makes total sense to me, but uh, you know, incomplete passes and the clock's still running. I'm not crazy about that.
0: Yeah. And according to Dellinger's report, nobody's really crazy about that one. Nobody really likes that suggestion and it doesn't make sense. I mean, we got people in the comment section talking about the spike and yeah. What would that do to the spike? Like being able to stop the clock with a spike in the final three, four minutes of the game, mostly in the final two minutes. If you can't do that, then that really change. I mean, that one changes the game, like not being able to stop the clock with an incomplete pass, a hundred percent changes the game. And again, like you mentioned, it takes away the, the risk for the offense that's trying to ice the game even because I mean, so much of the gamesmanship of football at the end of games comes down to, well, should they, they run it and let the clock keep going? Or should they take a chance and try and throw for the first down and really ice the game. Like the, the game the gamesmanship, the chessmanship on that, it would be really disappointing to have that gone. Like that would be sad. So I think, I don't think that coaches are going to be on board with that at all, unless you're like a big time spread offense, five wide receivers. That's all you ever do. Kind of a coach. Maybe you're, you're fine with that, but I just don't see the college football world as a whole going for that. But again, suggestion three, where the clock, um, continues to run after a first down before the final two minutes then yeah i'm down with that one i think that one's the one that makes the biggest difference and i ran the numbers over at sooner's wire if y'all want to check this out um i love numbers man you you can all you can get me behind some numbers get me excited for some numbers i'll drop the the link in the chat if y'all want to take it take a look at it um sorry i just got really distracted by taliqua um john tay lee just mentioned just dropped my hometown um in the chat over there do we still have this guy delivering in Tahlequah tomorrow one of the best spots to eat as french mexican and kagumi off Muskogee. kagumi's bomb if you're in Tahlequah and you want some you want some uh some good like korean hit up kagumi that's some good stuff right there okay back to this because all right i was really curious about this so i went and i did the i did the digging the average number of plays for the team that led the NFL in plays per game for the 2022 season was 70.4 plays per game. That was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go figure Um, for the college football side of things. It was Texas tech. They led the nation in plays per game at 84.2 offensive plays per game. That's 17% more plays per game than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The top five, In the NFL, average 69.2 plays per game. The NFL average, 64.6 plays per game. Looking back at the college, 41 teams, 41 teams in the football bowl subdivision average more plays per game than Tampa Bay's 70.4. 41 teams. You want to go to the NFL average of 64.4. What was it, 64.6 plays per game? 103 FBS teams averaged more plays per game than the NFL average. 103. So the clock stoppage after a first down 100% creates more plays per game than it does. I mean, than it would otherwise. Like you take that out of the equation and it brings the plays per game down significantly. And in a world where you know they're expanding the college football playoff, there's talk of schedule expansions. You know the SEC is looking at a nine-game conference schedule. That's a huge difference. I broke it down even further. You look at the difference between Tampa Bay. Okay, Tampa Bay played a 17-game season, regular season, 17 games. They ran um, it was 1170. What well, was 1197 plays? 1197 plays. Texas tech in 13 games ran 1095 plays, just 102 fewer plays in four fewer games. So if you were to like extrapolate that out, I mean, Texas tech would have ran, I mean, close to 16, 1700 plays last year, you know, based on what they did. So, I mean, I like this rule change. I like the idea of it. And I really do like the idea of improving the pace of play So that one, it's just more accessible to not the diehard college football fan, the people that might be fringe fans that may not have five hours of their day to give up, but maybe have three, three and a half. And and it allows us to watch more football because if you can get a game in in three hours, then I can go to the next game after that. And I don't have to worry about, oh, man, this game's going to be ending. And then I'm not going to be able to catch the start of whatever big time SEC game is going to be going on in prime time or the three o'clock window. So I like the idea of it. I think cutting down on the plays per game is going to help college football athletes have less wear and tear. And then it's going to allow for them to expand that playoff and feel like, okay, we're, we're making things a little bit easier on the players during the regular season. And they're going to be able to kind of hold up at the end of the season.
1: Well, one thing is definitely true here with them expanding the college football playoff, right. And more games coming your way from, from just the the simple expansion there had to be some sort of way that they could turn around and say look we we've kept safety at the forefront of our mind and here's how our brokers that be can tell you and sell to everybody else well look we we cut down x amount of plays so now we can play one or two or three more games every season and have that not be as as dangerous um as it would be if you just kept things status quo so uh, that that's what they're selling but the reality is this this is, this is about doing that while keeping inventory the same. Jimmy says they should cut out some of the commercials. Well, guess what? Inventory ain't going nowhere, baby. Inventory's staying. And the, the funniest part about it is it's TV networks, John, that are saying, you know what, mm, product needs to be a little bit quicker when obviously it's the TV networks that have the quickest fix to this. You and I can go back and forth, and I do think the first down item to this Would would definitely it it would it would change things overnight, right? It it will change things overnight, but ultimately, you know, commercials. If you restructured the way that you had them in the broadcast, that alone reviews. If you put some sort of a clock on replay, that would help a little bit. I mean, there's a number of other things just from the television presentation side that would speed these games up as well. But probably the the first fix is just that, and they're looking at it. And ultimately, I think I agree with you that. While for me personally, I don't need the game to change. I love the game. To me, the fact that it's different from the National Football League, I'm fine with that. Uh, I don't mind a a four-and-a-half-hour game because I enjoy watching a a four-and-a-half OU game, uh, hour OU game. But I get that that's not probably everybody's story, right? And this would make it maybe a little bit more uh, acceptable to everybody.
0: Josh, you don't have kids, man. Kids make it really challenging to watch a four and a half hour football game, at least my two and six year old do. So it's a uh, very much a, I don't know. I feel like watching games with, a, with kids. is kind of like a sport. You got to, you got to you know wrestle them around a little bit as you're catching, you know, Dylan Gabriel's bomb to Marvin Mims. This is why I want all the primetime games in the world because the kids are in bed and I can enjoy football in peace. Um, hey, we got a few more things we're going to talk about. We got a, a, a player that we talked about recently, Finally got his rating uh on the recruiting trail. And then we got some really interesting Walter Rouse quotes that we want to discuss as well. But first, Josh is going to talk to y'all about LinkedIn. It's 2023, which means you're trying to put the best team together
1: for your company in 2023. And what's the what's the quick fix to getting the right people aboard? Well, it's LinkedIn.com backslash locked on college, where you can post your job for free and get in touch with the applicants that you need for free right here right now you just add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your linkedin profile to spread the word that you are hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire they've got the simple tools screening questions that make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire and it's why we keep telling you again and again Number one, baby, just like Oklahoma, eventually, right? Soon, like Oklahoma. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. So check them out. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. That is LinkedIn.com slash college. LinkedIn.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, which direction are we heading next, John?
0: Let's talk Walter Rouse.
1: Let's do. Let's do. Talk some Walter Rouse. How important was this singular flip? I saw Bob Prisbillo and Sooner Scoop uh, put together a little. You know, we got to talk to everybody that's a newcomer for Oklahoma. Walter Rouse being included amongst that group, and uh, obviously his recruitment. It, it's not the. It's not the same degree, right, of a Peyton Bowen because you got a, a five star, and that was just a, a wild recruitment for Bowen. But quietly, the Walter Rouse recruitment there was a flip away there was a commitment in a flip away from Nebraska and I don't know about you John but I think that when we're looking back on this next season as a whole and decisions that kind of shaped it Walter Rouse's decision to flip from Nebraska to Oklahoma at least for next year maybe not you know three years down the road, but that might be equally or more impactful than Peyton Bowen's flip in the immediacy here. So I I thought this was cool from Rouse. He was talking with sooner scoop and he said, quote, I do regret committing to Nebraska because I wish I just took more time to consider my decision. That's a learning lesson. But, uh, he said, I've got no regrets. I'm happy to be at Oklahoma and Brent Venables, as you would expect, had plenty of nice comments about one Walter Rouse, but man, uh, What do you think? Where are you at with Walter Rouse's decision to come to Oklahoma? I think it could be, again, something that we look back on and say, you know what? That was gigantic for OU, and maybe we didn't know it straight away. Maybe some of us did celebrate it, but it could be very, very important just given what's happened up front with Oklahoma's offensive line and the turnover there.
0: No, I think it's huge, and it's what makes me feel a lot more comfortable about where Oklahoma's heading offensively in 2022 because you've got somebody with so much experience to be able to slot in there at left tackle to replace Anton Harrison. I mean, is he going to be the same player? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see, but he's got the experience. I mean, he's a really, really good run blocker. You've got to be a good run blocker to play at Stanford and, you, and to be able to play it as much as he did, start for four seasons, thirty nine. Uh, starts for the Stanford Cardinal, like that's huge. And I mean, I'm excited about the young guys that they have. You know, the Jake Taylors, the Jacob Sextons, the Caden Greens, uh, some you know, Phil Logan, Heath Zeta. Like, I'm excited about those guys. But getting Walter Rouse in again, it's fantastic. It helps your offensive line immediately. Gives you guy a guy with a, a lot of experience. Because as we saw in the bowl game, I mean, when they were kind of down to you know four new starters along the offensive line, the pass protection was not great. Dylan Gabriel was kind of under siege for most of the night. And I think, what was it? Six, seven sacks that they gave up to Florida state. So I think that, that that matters. And then you have a guy who has played so much football. He's played at a really high level. It, it makes a big difference. And it makes a big difference to what you're going to do this year. If you have uh, hopes of getting back to the big 12 title game, getting into the college football playoff conversation, you got to have good offensive line play. And, I'm not going to sit here and say that they weren't going to have good offensive line play. I mean, I'm a big believer in Bill Beatonbo and what he's able to accomplish um, in an, in an off season to kind of retool his offensive line. And some of that is what he's able to, to do in the transfer portal, and we've seen it work out so far with a guy like Chris Murray, with a guy like uh, McCabe Mattire. I mean, these guys are are showing up, and Tyler Guyton's going to be another one, uh, a big time transfer portal addition for Bill Beatonbo that's going to have a huge impact on this offensive line. And I think Walter Rouse will be that as well. I mean, this is a really, really good uh, addition for the Sooners. And yeah, yeah, uh, Okie Long guy. We, we basically traded um, Pat Fields a year early for Walter Rouse. Kind of same thing happened. We sent Cedric Roberts to Texas State, got Devon Sears in return and a player to be named later. Um, no, nah, just kidding about the player to be named later part. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great, great um, – pick up for them, especially to be able to get a flip from a guy like Matt rule, who's now back in college football. And I mean, Matt rule is a really good recruiter. He's a guy that knows how to build a program. So you were able to, to win a quick recruitment and flip a guy that was committed in just a few days time. So again, big time get for this, this Oklahoma seniors, offensive or yeah, the offensive staff, Brent Venables in particular, and Bill Beedenbo
1: Well, It, uh, I think, again, tells us, as we've talked about throughout the offseason, Crimson and Cream Collective, uh, your dollars at work, I think, for Oklahoma. Now, that's uh, not necessarily been discussed out there, and I don't have that on any sort of proven record, but we do hear just kind of through the grapevine, John, that Nebraska is a program that has gone all in on name, image, and likeness. And when. Oklahoma is able to pry somebody away from Nebraska out of the transfer portal where you know that if Nebraska is in fact an NIL player, that probably you are a little bit of an NIL player too to ultimately you know win a flip and win that recruiting war. And there's a couple of those I think in this transfer portal class for Oklahoma that tells me Oklahoma fans, man, they just – they ponied up and – Oklahoma, I think, uh, you know, obviously just these collectives have been very aggressive and competitive. And then just what you're selling, right? I mean, obviously, I look at uh, the quote from Brent Venables. I mean, we can sit here and talk NIL all day. And I I would think that probably to some degree, sure, it was, you know, the package that Oklahoma was able to put together for guys is attractive uh, comparatively. But when Venables says this, John, quote, talking about Rouse, quote, he's a massive athlete on the offensive line. Big personality, sharp, incredibly intelligent, really neat young man, meets a tremendous need for us on the offensive line. Quote, meets a tremendous need for us on the offensive line, end quote. I mean, you start thinking about that, just the the need that Oklahoma had, and uh, obviously, I mean, we're talking about two guys that are going to be playing in the league next year that were just playing tackle for OU, the the track record's there for Oklahoma. So, to me, that was uh, for Rouse, as he said, Hey, I sat and I wrestled with the decision. I wrestled with the decision. I didn't want to be though that guy that flipped, right? He said uh basically in the past he looked at other guys that flipped and said, How could you do that? And yet, boom, you find yourself in that situation and in it you hate that part of it, but you make the decision that's right for yourself. And with uh, peace and love to Nebraska, Oklahoma is the right decision over the Huskers, at least for right now, still today.
0: I mean, no peace, no love. For Nebraska.
1: John, just laying the smackdown on the Huskers part two. Well, part three, I guess. Uh, no. Out of the
0: last couple of years. Yeah, you don't, they don't want the smoke. They don't want the Oklahoma smoke. That's for sure. Nebraska left the big 12. They didn't want to hang. So we're done. We're good. We'll see it. We'll see in like a decade or something like that. Uh, when we beat you again. Um, no, I think it's huge. And, and it, to me, it just goes to show how much having success along your offensive line matters and having consistent success, because when there's a big time target out there, they want to come play for you because they've seen all the success. They've seen the tracker record. They've seen, you know, you get guys in the league that matters. And I think that's why, retaining bill beedenbow by brent venables was such a huge move at the time i mean beedenbow didn't want to go anywhere he wanted to stay in oklahoma that is a fact he said it as much everybody said as much he wanted to be in oklahoma it was just a matter of brent venables saying yeah we we want to keep you and sometimes the best moves are the moves you don't make and the that one being not you know getting rid of bill beedenbow letting him stay on it's huge and it's going to pay huge dividends i mean not just this year, but in years to come with the offensive line haul they just had in the 2023 cycle. Uh, Absolutely tremendous, getting Walter Rouse as well. Speaking of recruiting, let's talk a 2024 player that we talked about on our show uh, from Sunday night. If you listen on Monday morning when the podcast drops, we talk about Mike Hill, Patterson, McDonald, a guy that out of Westmore High School that when we talked about him, he was unrated. And now he is a four-star player on Rivals. Um, rated the number three player in the state of Oklahoma and the number 23 safety in the country. I told you when I saw him that I saw a dude and I saw a guy that I wanted to be a part of my secondary because he just has that it intangible, that tenacious intangible that you can line him up at safety, can line him up at, at slot, you know, cornerback. Um to me, he's what we would have liked. Buki to be Brennan Randley-Hiles to be, but this guy's way more tenacious than that. And he's a more physical player than that. And so I'm, I'm really excited. I really do think that he could continue to ascend um, the recruiting rankings. Once more and more people catch on to who this kid is. And I really do think the offers are going to start flying in. We know that Michigan state and Mel Tucker are going to be big players in this. And if our governor And our government can do one thing. It's to stop Mel Tucker from crossing the border. Go ahead and just put him on a no-fly list into Oklahoma and not allow him to come see David Stone or Patterson-McDonald or Zadavian Sims or any other top-flight Oklahoma prospect that you can think of because Michigan State, for some reason, needs to come to Oklahoma to find their big-time defensive prospects.
1: The Mel Tucker rule, 2023 – The uh, Mel Tucker edict 2023, not welcome, not welcome in the state of Oklahoma now or (laughs) forever going forward. Uh, Man, uh, congratulations, by the way, to the young man from Westmore. Obviously, he's, uh, you know, we're watching the tape and I I can't wait to see what this season has in store for him. He's uh, Clearly, not just because of the relationship to David Stone, but because of what he's doing on the football field. He's he's turning some heads from a recruiting standpoint to pick up four stars is, you know, impressive. And you flip on that tape, and the number one thing, I think what you're saying, John, that stands out is, my man can fly downhill and hit somebody and jar some footballs loose and create some PBUs and, again, wrap some folks up. So that's that's fun when you watch – his tape, uh, obviously, he's got a, a bright, bright future at Westmore. Can't wait to see what, uh, obviously, this season has in store for him. And I do think, like you said, that list is just going to keep growing. I think when we talked yesterday, it was Oklahoma, Michigan State, UNLV, and Tulsa. <laughs> Maybe it's Michigan State flying the large balloons. It could be. It could be those, uh, those tricky Spartans flying those uh, balloons cross-country. Dangerous.
0: Oh, man. Sorry. That one got me. I had to throw that up on the up on the screen. Um, turning our attention to softball, the Oklahoma senior softball team's got a big weekend coming up. Big opportunity to kind of bounce back uh, from what was it. You know, it, it's a loss. It's a little bit disappointing when the Oklahoma senior softball team loses. But, hey, in a in a world where you play 60 games, you're bound to lose one or three of them. That's all you get. You only get three this year because it's all you had last year. So you got to you got to be better. Uh, but, I mean, they're going to play some really stout teams um, over there back in California. I mean, they've got Texas A&M. They're going to play UCLA. They have other teams. I'm scrambling to find the schedule as we speak. Um, where is it? This is fantastic podcasting. Thank you for everybody that as- is dropping here. Loyal of Marymount, Utah, and Cal State Fullerton.
1: I was going to say, as you search for said schedule, maybe it's time for me. I don't want to. I don't believe that I should be required to. But
0: You owe it to time. the people. You owe it to the people.
1: I know. I, it's, maybe it's time for me to issue my formal public apology to Patty Gasso, to every single Sooner softballer, to you, the Oklahoma fan. I, I don't know why I did it. I genuinely thought this team could go undefeated. I genuinely thought that we would be talking about this team deep into the end uh, portions of their schedule, similar to the past two seasons, on an undefeated push. And I spoke that evil Ricky Bobby into existence. So I I will take some small sliver of acceptance for this loss versus Baylor, though I don't want to, but I will. As a gentleman, I will.
0: Yeah. You're going to have to go get in the car with the Cougar now and help us rebound off that one. No, I, you know, it's, it's a bummer of a loss, but I think, you know, still being early in the season, still kind of trying to figure out life without Jocelyn Alo a little bit, you can't lose arguably the best player in the history of the game and not have, you know, some growing pains a little bit. Uh, yeah, it is all Josh's fault. He agrees. (laughs) Um, but I do think it's gonna it's gonna come around. You know, Tiara Jennings, she's not really hitting yet. She's not really found her her stroke just yet. Uh, Sydney Sanders isn't hitting just yet, but it's coming. Like you don't like like I said on our show last night, you don't hit four hundred for a season and then go into the tank. You know, your your true freshman isn't going to be your best player all season long. She'll hit some. She'll have some some slumps at some point. You're going to be okay. Jordy Ball is going to learn from the ball that she kind of left hanging this team is going to be fine. They're going to play great this weekend. You know, tests absolutely, but they're going to have winnable games, you know, every time they go out to play because if they get hot, they're hard to stop. And it's just a matter of a couple of their players, people that they require, they're they're relying on in Jennings, Sanders, Alina uh, Torres, those three in particular. You know, once they find their their stroke, Oklahoma's going to be just fine.
1: I wish just culturally we could eliminate from our system the, hey, a loss is good. You know, this team needed to, uh, you know, there's so many lessons you can take from a loss. Well, dang it, I'd like to start taking lessons again from close wins. But I will say this. In respect to that, I don't totally disagree with it. I I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek here. I I get the thought process there. It's not the worst thing for Oklahoma to have a little bit of a mild wake-up call right early in the season that, yes, you are the two-time defending national champion, but guess what? If you if you don't play up to a certain standard, you're beatable. There's, there's teams that are gunning for you and they're able to come get you. And in closing on the surprising Oklahoma Baylor defeat, if we had to trade the Baylor game to smack UCLA so Jen Schroeder could uh, eat her Twitter comments, then so be it. Sign me up.
0: Yeah, we're all about that life. I mean, it's it it is going to fire them fire them up. They'll they'll take that one on the chin. They'll get back in the cages. They'll get back on the field, and they'll work through some of the the struggles that they had. And it'll be all right. They'll they'll be just fine. They're going to get their thing together. And even if honestly, even if they lose to UCLA, it's still just February. You got a long way to go to June. It's I will accept.
1: I will accept zero losses to UCLA. Can't (laughs) suffer through a loss to UCLA. Can't do it. Cannot, cannot put up with that type of public social media show boating. I cannot live in that universe. It's time to rise up. Oklahoma softball. One loss is one too many. It's time to dominate this Mary Nutter collegiate invitational into leave, leave uh, no stone unturned pure domination.
0: And this is the point of the show where we will start kind of taking some questions, anything that you've got on your mind that you'd like to bring up that we should discuss. Uh, we'll do so. Norwooding's asking how come OU is not ranked because they were just in the national championship. Well, I think you saw this past weekend, uh, you know, they lost to Cal Baptist. Now don't sleep on California teams coming out of California. Myself, I uh, grew up in the high desert. Um, you, you, don't, you don't sleep on California teams, whether it's Cal Baptist or UCLA or USC. Baseball is king in California. so But Oklahoma, they, they lost a ton of pieces off of that you know college World Series team. Uh, they've got to figure out how to replace those guys. And so, again, early in the season for them, they've got to work through some things. But, I mean, they didn't play great for the first half of the year last year. And then they went on a torrid run. Uh, toward the end of the season and through the big 12 tournament and through the college World series. And we saw how that turned out. So give it time, give it, give it peace, give it some, you know, give it a bit of space, I guess is the best way to put it. Let them figure this thing out. It's a long season. They're going to play a lot of games. Um, So again, not a, you know, it's not terrible, but um, yeah, don't sleep on, on these California teams. Don't sleep on Oklahoma. They're going to be just fine too.
1: Yeah. You'd feel you'd feel a little bit better if you just, you know, rubber match, you win the rubber match, or, you know, you didn't get to the rubber match, won the first two and took the series. Losing that opening series versus Cal Baptist uh, doesn't, doesn't necessarily make you feel all that great. Even though as Chad points out, they would have been in the tournament last year if they uh, were eligible, but yeah, no, no panic button. Obviously it's an opening weekend series. So you hope that uh, they, some some tinkering and improve like you said similar to what they did uh last season no doubt they were able to do that though it does you know for me i kind of look at it and say i didn't you know there were parts early last year to where you know wouldn't like to leave that much doubt for that long about your status of being an at-large type team right and you know you start the season the way you did right here right now and that uh that's obviously kind of pushes you in that direction to where we might be having some of those similar conversations about what does Oklahoma need to do in the big 12 to get uh, get one of those at large bids locked up comfortably.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Josh, another question. We're getting a Mecca Megua, the running back transfer out of Oregon transfer during the season. Obviously we didn't see him, but he's, he's with Oklahoma. He's somebody that they're potentially factoring into uh, a running back role um, on their, on their depth chart. Now, Where he fits in with Javante Barnes and Gavin Sachuk and Marcus Major, uh, that remains to be seen. But he's still in Norman. He's still with the team.
1: Which – well, we'll touch on this in just a second. It's going to be tough for him to crack that running back rotation, is it not? I mean, I just feel like after what we saw in the bowl game versus Florida State that you've got Barnes, you've got Sawyer, and – my gentlemen can run four days, and they they kind of do some different things, right? Sachuk is that pure, pure, you know, pure flash, sizzle, speed, and Javante Barnes got some of that, but you know he's got some of the power uh, to him as well. So, man, uh, you know, we'll see if he can crack that rotation, but that's going to be tough to do, I think, for anybody not named Barnes or sachuk right now
0: yeah indeed and on the question of roster limits including walk ons i'm seeing anywhere from what 105 to 125 um one place i'm seeing it's it's 125 uh the limit is usually or usually averages around 105 so uh josh you got any thoughts on that what 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 do you know
1: uh the players that can be on a roster including walk ons yeah let, let me do some digging and i'll have a definitive answer tomorrow for you I want to say that I've seen like 125 tossed around at times, but I don't know that to be a factual statement. So let me uh, double check and look into that. I would say just on walk-ons in general that for Oklahoma, it, uh, it's obviously a different world that we're living in. And you and I have talked about this in the past, that with what Oklahoma is doing with name, image, and likeness, whereas obviously a walk-on guy in the past was just strictly a walk-on guy, you can supplement that to where some of these guys that maybe would think about a lower-level college now, all of a sudden, it's attractive to come at least for you know one two years. Come take a chance at a place like OU. Where you're, yeah, you're not a scholarship guy, but because of some of the name, image, likeness opportunities at OU, you kind of are. So I think over the next you know season two, three, and you know not five six guys every year, John, but I, I think we're going to be getting familiar with the idea that there's going to be a name or two like a Freeman or somebody on down the road, similar to that, to where we say, okay, wait a second. This guy was a walk-on and they're going to legitimately be out there making plays for you just because the, believe it or not, name image likeness era that we're in is going to facilitate some surprises like that.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And being able to showcase a guy like Gavin Freeman or showcase your other walk-ons like a Drake stoops and see them succeed. I think that 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 speaks to players who might not be getting the power five offers that they want and can go to Oklahoma. I think that gives them kind of hope like, Hey, if I go to Oklahoma as a walk on, there's still a good chance I can get to play if I prove myself capable of playing. And if after a couple of years, I haven't done that, then there's always the transfer portal and I can do that. Um, Okie Long guys asking, what do you have to do in college baseball to be ranked? Seems like Oklahoma should have been ranked um, or should have hosted a regional or super regional. Well, I think it's kind of similar to how basketball works a little bit in that the regular season, I think, holds more weight than the tournaments do because teams can get hot for a tournament and you know one team can just slip up. Like, say, Oklahoma softball against Oklahoma State at the end of the big 12 tournament this past year, it's not really reflective of who the two teams are. I mean, Oklahoma state's a really good program, but does anybody think that they were better than Oklahoma? No, they were able to beat them in a one game playoff. And I think that's probably what, you know, the, the pollsters, the rankers, how they feel about college baseball as well in that, okay, a team can win a game, a one-off game, or you know, a series at the end of a season when they're hot, but what's the rest of their resume look like? I think they might put a little bit more weight on the regular season and how that all played out. Obviously, strength of schedule matters and things like that too, but I think that's probably why Oklahoma didn't host a regional or a super regional is just because their regular season, except for like the final month and a half, two months, wasn't very good. Um, but they got really, really hot toward the end and then went on this incredible run uh, through the, the Big 12 tournament.
1: Well, and the simplest answer to that is the selection committee has to view you as one through 16. Yeah. So the top 16 seeds will host a regional and then hypothetically, theoretically, the top eight seeds would host super regionals if they win their respective regional and then obviously if one of the what they call national seeds in baseball and softball which would be one through eight and if one of those teams doesn't win their regional then you know the obviously the other team that hosted a regional would then turn around the next week and uh, and host a super regional so the short answer is oklahoma wasn't regarded as one of the top 16 teams going into the tournament
0: That's what it comes down to. Uh, Granite guy asks, how can we donate to you guys? Great info. Um, You can't, but thank you for the thought and the, 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 yeah, that's very, that's very considerate. One thing you can do, make sure you're subscribed to locked on Sooners on YouTube and Hey, go write a five-star review for us on Apple or Spotify or Google play, wherever you listen to your podcasts that helps us. And it helps other people find out about our show as well. So that, but again, Thank you, Granite guy. It's very, very thoughtful. But if you also have a business and you want to partner with us here on the Locked On uh, Sooners podcast, we would love to talk to you about that as well. sooners at gmail.com can be the place where you hit us up for all uh, partnership and sponsorship inquiries. Uh, any other questions that you've got uh, before we get out of here? Yeah, hit that thumbs up, as Okie Long guy says as well. Um, all the interactions. Give us all the interactions for the algorithm. Uh, we appreciate those things. So, uh, man, it's, it's a really fun time of the off season. You know, things are a little bit slow right now on the recruiting trail. You know, we talked about, uh, some of the things that we, or the ways that we were kind of feeling about Oklahoma recruiting for the 2024 class on our show yesterday. Uh, and, and I think that's a, you know, what we're going to see in Brent Venables on the recruiting trail is going to be a lot of hurry up and wait. You know what I mean? Like we might see a lot of projections, you know, in January, February, recruiting projections, crystal balls, future casts, things like that. But he's going to really caution those guys and, and kind of temper their excitement a little bit and say, hey, go on your visits, go see the places you want to see, and then come back to me. You know, and that's why we saw such a flurry of, you know, commitments in June, July, August. Was because all those guys finally say, saw everything they wanted to see, and they're like, "Yep, it's Oklahoma. I'm good. I'm good to go. All glory to God. Good to go." So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I like that. It's not this, you know, we're we're committing, and then we're seeing guys flip several times, or, you know, I, it's it's I don't know. Honestly, it's hard to watch sometimes the recruiting stuff because you're like, man, that just that really kind of blows for the coach. You know, I, I think about the Jaden Rashada you know, um, scenario where, you know, Billy Napier really didn't have any say in what went down on that. The, the collective went rogue, a, a lawyer in the collective really went rogue, offered him something that the collective couldn't afford and couldn't back up. And Billy Napier loses out on a top quarterback just because this collective went rogue and that's the stuff that when you watch recruiting that can be kind of a bummer for for the coaches is just the up and down roller coaster. Now it's part of the game. It is. The game is the game and it's all in the game as they'd say in the wire. But man, it's it's kind of tough to watch sometimes.
1: So let's see here. Do we do we have a time? We just have a date for the spring game, right? Kickoff time and additional spring game event information will be released at a later date. So we know Saturday, April 22nd for the spring game, which I'm glad – I'm glad glad Schooner Nate asked that because it's funny that you asked that. I was actually going to close with that, that, you know, just thinking about some of the things that you were talking about there, John. The – okay, it's a slow portion of the schedule, sure, even though Brent Venables and company, I think, heated up this portion of the schedule and tactically – Uh, I think very wisely kept themselves in the news by welcoming all those newcomers in. So we're talking, thinking, consuming football. That was, I think a a brilliant marketing move for Oklahoma, but it is sort of that down period before we jump into spring football. And one thing that I think long-term, well, I shouldn't say long-term longer discussion for next week that we can have. How important is this spring game for Oklahoma just in indicating where the fan base is at, uh, the enthusiasm for the program going into 2023. Obviously, you're coming off of a record spring game attendance. And you know that Venables, he was out there in front pushing, pushing, pushing again. We need this spring game to be important. Need this spring game to be uh, best in the nation like it was a year ago. Are we going to get that? I'm guessing we take a step in the opposite direction in terms of attendance, but I was wild last year, man. I didn't think they'd come anywhere near the figures that they got at the spring game last season. So it's going to be – that's going to be an interesting discussion, I think, to be had over the next month or so.
0: After seeing how many people left after halftime, after the Baker-Mayfield thing was done, I'm not so sure that we're going to get 70,000 in Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium. If they can do 50, I'll be impressed, especially if they don't have something tied to it, like Kyler, you know, getting his Heisman trophy. Um, maybe if they were to bring Jalen Hurts back and honor him for just the tremendous season he had with the Philadelphia Eagles this past year, maybe that could do something. Um, but I, I do think it it does need to be a big event, but I just don't know if it's going to be as uh, incredible or as buzzworthy as it was this past year. I mean, this was the first opportunity to see a Brent Venables football team um, on the field and see Brent Venables in person and see what this program was going to be about. And, I mean, it created a ton of buzz, and people got really excited. Got to see Baker come back. Just a great, great atmosphere. But then we have the season we had, and kind of the shine's off a little bit. Excitement's gone. It's now we're down to to the nitty-gritty. Uh, Brent Venables, he'll be out there, you know, tooting the horn, everybody get out to the spring game. Will they, we'll be out there. We'll try to get out there. My wife and I, or we tried to take the kids last year and again, don't take a a one-year-old to a football game. That's a bad idea. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they can still do good numbers and still have a really incredible atmosphere, but 70,000, it's going to be tough to do.
1: Well, it was tough to do last year. I was amazed that that Oklahoma fans that you guys did that was Incredible. I think if Oklahoma fans do fifty five thousand, would be would be very very impressive. But uh, that that'll all be very interesting to watch play out in uh, well not too long from now on April twenty second. In closing, I've got a percentage for you. Percentage chance that OU beats Tech tomorrow. I think Oklahoma is beating Tech, but I'm not super confident. I'm going to set it just above fifty percent. I'm going to say fifty five percent because I do think Oklahoma's winning, but I am in no way confident with what I'm going to get. It's uh, it's like Forrest Gump with Oklahoma this season. It's like a box of chocolates, and I never know which freaking piece of chocolate I'm picking out of the box. No idea what kind of candy I'm getting with Oklahoma. I know some people would turn back and say, John, well, uh, you kind of know that Oklahoma's going to play really hard and lose close. But then again, I thought a couple of times maybe that would be the case for Oklahoma, and they went and got their doors blown off. On several occasions, and then I thought that was going to happen, and they went and beat Alabama convincingly, or beat Kansas State convincingly. So I, I really don't know what we're going to get from Oklahoma, but I, I'm picking them to win this game because they played well last week, and I don't think there's much difference between. I know Tech's playing well right now, but believe it or not, OU actually played well this past week, and uh, so I'm going to take OU to win. But in no way do I feel good about it.
0: Man, that's loser talk. They're gonna well, win. They're gonna well, win. By this, this. They're this gonna team's- win this one. They're gonna win this one.
1: It is loser talk, but the team's in the cellar right now.
0: <laughs> double stamp, triple stamp. Can't double stamp a triple stamp or triple stamp a double stamp. No, I I like I like Oklahoma. I like the way that they're playing ball right now. Uh, you know, beat Kansas State, nearly pulled off the upset against Texas. So I'm gonna take them over tech. Uh I, I don't think it's gonna be enough to keep their NCAA tournament hopes alive, but hopefully it kind of spurs them on into uh picking up another two top you know 25 wins to finish the season or so but guys that's going to do it for tonight's episode of locked on sooner's live thank you Uh
1: uh-oh he's muted
0: what did i do why did i mute that then i was trying to get rid of this comment that's you're just you're just
1: ready to get out of here man oh
0: man we need a producer or something Blame the producer in the background. He's the one that's not unmuting me. Uh, But That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thank you, gentlemen and ladies, for being a part of the show. Again, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms. Also, go give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Again, it helps us, helps other people find out about the show. We appreciate you stopping by every Monday night at 9 p.m. Central Time to just chat it up with us. We love it. Uh, so again thank you so much but until next time he's josh helmer you can follow him on twitter at josh on ref for as long as we still have twitter i'm john williams you can follow me on twitter at john nine williams you can also follow the show on twitter at locked on sooners but until then boomer sooner